0: Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthorpology. The show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where, or how you were listening to this, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 21, Devil in the Dance Hall. In this episode, I will talk about a story common throughout the American Southwest and Northern Mexico, with particularly well-known versions in Fresno, California, and San Antonio, Texas. Although the story is, according to the sources that I found for it, currently unknown outside of Spanish-speaking and descendant communities in North America, I have found a version from the 19th century in Poland, suggesting it was once a more common story in Europe. And, in an unexpected twist, James Tyner, who spoke with me in episode 18 about Homero Mansion, has family members who were present during an event in Fresno that they described as being identical to the common story of the devil at the dance hall. The prototypical story goes as follows at a community dance or in more recent versions a nightclub a stranger appears the man is dressed in a sharp black suit with polished cowboy boots in contrast to the jeans and cotton shirts of the other men in the place he is handsome and grabs the attention of everyone the women are attracted to him the men wish that they possessed some of his charisma and confidence one young woman is at the dance or club against her family's wishes. Perhaps her parents disapprove of where she is going. Perhaps it is a holy day and not one for merriment. But this disobedient daughter has gone out anyway, and she cannot take her eyes off of this man, El Wapo, the entire evening. The man proceeds to dance with every woman in the place. Finally, near midnight, he asks the disobedient daughter for a dance and she readily and happily agrees. They dance as she has never danced before, moving quickly and with great precision and flow, when something suddenly goes wrong. As the clock strikes midnight, she looks down and sees that the man is no longer wearing the cowboy boots that he had on when he entered the hall. Looking down, she sees that something is wrong with his feet. In some tellings, he has the three-toed feet of a chicken in others they are the hooves of a goat and in some tellings one foot is that of a chicken and the other is that of a goat the young lady screams yells out sus pies sous pies his feet his feet and passes out the music stops everyone stops to look and the mysterious man runs towards the men's room when the other men pursue him there they find that despite there being no exit Other than the door that they all just came through, the mysterious man is gone, and the smell of sulfur is strong in the air. The devil had danced, and left a tale in his wake. Commentary As I had stated in the intro, James Tyner has family members who were present at Fresno's Rainbow Ballroom during an event that seems to match the events described in this story. In addition, James has an interest in ghost and supernatural folklore very similar to my own, and he was kind enough to join me for a discussion. Okay, so why don't we start with the Rainbow Ballroom, and I'd like to have you tell the version of the story that you've heard, but first... Where did you hear this story?
1: Gotcha. Yeah. So a um, little bit of background about my, I, I'm originally from, born and raised in LA. We came to Fresno at the age of 12. This was where my mom was from. And then to take a little bit further back, my grandmother um, who was originally from Mexico. She was from Chihuahua. She came here when she was pretty young as a bootlegger. And so she had seven brothers and sisters. They all came here to Fresno and they kind of um, lived and grew up. So when I came back or when I came to Fresno, you know, I had just had a massive family here. And one of the things when we got here, they they welcomed us in and there was tons of barbecues. It was very tight knit family, even though it's so massive. And so there was always family over, there was always barbecues. There was always uh, that kind of thing, just uh, get together almost every weekend. So the first time I heard this, I was probably about 13. You know, We had tons of family over, there was barbecue, there was drinking, all that fun stuff. It came up almost high passively, but my family very much dancers. So the music was on, everybody was dancing. It was, I remember one cousin throwing out, "Hey, do you guys remember this? The the ballroom." And um, when he said that, like I could see the faces of the different family members, the different reactions. Like some got excited and wanted to tell their version of the story or what they saw. And then one cousin in particular, who I'll go back to. She got really quiet, like visibly upset that they were talking about this. So um, I'll talk more about her in a minute. Essentially, they go on to tell me, tell us all the kids this story and what it was. It was late 60s, early 70s. They went to the Rainbow Ballroom. And the reason why I remember that date is because my mom would have been on the younger edge. She would have been um, probably about 14 or 15. And so these cousins were between 18 and early 20s, 22. So a big group of them went, all the cousins went out to the Rainbow Ballroom. And the cousin R, I'll, I'll just say, he he saw, he remembered it because he saw that he said this fine girl comes walking in and he wanted to talk to her. She was beautiful. She was gorgeous. And uh, she was dancing up and everybody, the lights were on her, everybody could see her. And a couple of other cousins, you know, they chimed in and said, yeah, she was gorgeous. She was so pretty, this and that. And so as the story goes, she's dancing. And then she gets approached by this guy who's just as handsome, who's gorgeous, really handsome guy. Cousin R, again, I'll say he was, his thing was, well, I didn't have a chance once he stepped in the room. So they were kind of laughing and joking about that. And they describe how they start to dance, this woman and this man. It just, they said there was like magic, like all the lights were shining on them, they were dancing, the music was going and everybody was dancing. And then at one point, they hear a scream. And so all the cousins turn and look, all the people in the ball, Rainbow Ballroom that are all there, they all look. And uh, the girl, I guess, is like walking backwards. She's stunned and she's screaming and every, she's looking down. So everybody looks and they can see that his feet are now chicken feet. And the other things that my cousin described is that um, they could see that a cross was on her. She was wearing a cross necklace. So this guy's feet are now chicken feet. He's he screams of some sort. And as he turns, he kicks out and he scratches the girl on her leg. And they said that she was just bleeding wildly. So the man took, he pushes through and he leaves the building in a flash. And everybody said they could smell like what they thought was like rotten egg, the sulfur smell as he ran out. So, yeah, that was the story. And I figured at the time, you know, this is very much embellished. It's it's, everybody's drinking and having a good time telling the story. But going back to the one cousin who was quiet, I'll call her cousin V. Now, just to give you some, a lot of my family members are big talkers, you know, they're they're, they're smooth talkers, they're they're good storytellers. So I just figured this was one of those. But she is the opposite. She was very quiet. She was very mathematical. I think she was an accountant, very by the book. Uh, She wasn't usually the type that went out dancing or did that thing. She just happened to go on this occasion. And she was very upset that they told the story. And you could see that it physically bothered her. And you know, I sat with her a little bit later, and she told me that that she did see that, and she had no reasonable explanation for it. Um, that it was very odd, and that it scared her to this day. She has since passed away, but uh, it, it was her that sold it for me because of the way her perspective was, it was so realistic to her. So yeah, so that's uh that's that's I guess my version of the story.
0: Were that was there much variation in the way that different family members told it, or did it? typically come out with the same sequence of events, but just told from different points of view. Yeah, that's what it was because it wasn't when they would tell it.
1: And I, I think I heard it maybe two or three times. And it wasn't. Um, how can I say this? It wasn't like they were telling different versions of the story. It was almost like they would add their perspective. So one cousin would say, yeah, I was over grabbing a drink when I heard it. I turned around. I didn't see nothing. And, you know, and this particular cousin would say he, he just saw the bodies moving and people running about and the screams. And then someone else would say that they saw the girl turn so they all kind of had different points of view. Um, I think there was a couple of cousins outside that they saw everybody else running out, but they didn't see what had happened. And some only saw the guy. I think one or two said they saw the guy. One said that he did see the feet. The other one said he didn't see the feet. Yeah, and then there's versions of it where the girl died. One one cousin mm-hmm. I remember was going off, oh, she died, she died. And the others were like, no, 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 that's that's not what happened. Um, she just got scratched. It's just so odd and it's so different. It, it, it reminds me of similar levels of like La Llorona, But yeah, it was definitely what I remember most was chicken feet, because then my generation, when we took it, we would use it to tease each other like, hey, you better behave or chicken feet's going to get you. So it became almost like, yeah, something we would joke with each other about.
0: It it sounds like your family generally told the story on social occasions. It wasn't something that was reserved for specific times or places, but rather everybody's together and it's time to just. Reminisce about the past and tell stories about each other. Is that correct, or was there anything unique about this?
1: Yeah, there, there was no. How can I say this? There was no like moral to it. There was no, Mm -hmm. at least in my family's version, it was very much a shared experience for them. And it didn't always come up, but but yeah, it, it it would from time to time. Like I said, I probably heard it about two or three times, and it was always after a long night, you know, lots of drinking, you know, everybody's partying, have a good time, and you know, they're joking, telling stories in the background. That was just one of the stories of them growing up. Uh, that, that would come
0: up. Yeah. Sort of like how my sisters and I will tell stories about whatever odd thing we got up to as teenagers.
1: Yes, very
0: much so. Okay. Were there any, you mentioned your cousin who was very unnerved by hearing this story. Were there any other family members who disliked having the story told or who held some sort of taboo regarding the story? Or was she the only one?
1: She was the only one. I think the others kind of saw it, um, I don't know. How can I put this? It was, it was very much, uh, you know, that moment of their lives. And I don't think they may not have seen it as paranormal or spooky or anything like that. It was just this event that happened. And then I think as years went on, they added a little bit of that spooky flavor, Mm -hmm. I think for our, for, you know, as, you know, entertainment is telling the story itself, but also for us younger generations that were uh, listening, they just kind of added that spooky vibe and made it, you know, sort of like a myth for our particular family.
0: Yeah. What's really interesting to me about this is that, Normally, when you have a story like this that becomes widespread and doing some research, I found Fresno, late 60s, early 70s, as you indicate, Stockton, uh, California in 1995 had a version at the Flamingo Club. And there's there's some variations there that are interesting. Uh, I'll get to that. McAllen, Texas at a on Good Friday at a club named Boccaccio's 2000. That was Mm. 1979 san antonio texas in 1975 on halloween night at el camarancito nightclub oh and i found a version from danzig poland that appears to date to around 1875 what yeah and what's interesting is um the folklorist harold jan brunvard indicates that this is a story of southwest north america so you know california new mexico arizona texas and northern mexico And that you don't see it anywhere else. But, well, here's a version from Poland. So I I found that pretty interesting. One of the things that's interesting to me is that in a lot of these stories, there's some sort of a moral to it. You know, a young woman, the young woman who actually uh, sees the chicken feet has decided to go dancing on Good Friday uh, when her parents don't want her to or. You know, there's some other thing going on. You can make an argument that the one in Stockton mid 90s—that's when we had the peak of violent crime—and a lot of people were worried about, mm. you know, um, drugged drinks and nightclubs, things like that. So it could right. play into that. But the version of the story you tell it seems to be free of a lot of that. And that's in of itself pretty interesting. You know, it's just, it's a family recollection as opposed to a friend of a friend story.
1: Yeah, that's what, it was always the most interesting part to me because it, it added a sort of intimacy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I've always thought of it as just part of, of one of the many family stories, but mm-hmm. I was living in um, Spain in the early nineties. I was actually studying to be a monk. And so I was living in the mountains, a little nowhere with people from other countries living with me. And I distinctly remember we were telling scary stories. And then I, I kind of dropped this one and two of the guys from Mexico, their eyes just popped wide open and they had versions of it as well. And they definitely yeah. tied back to kind of what you were mentioning. Um, they, they both talked about the Good Friday thing that it was generally if you go out of Good Friday, although the versions that they told both instead of the chicken feet, they both saw uh, are the, the people that they heard from had seen uh, goat, goat hoofs. So I thought that that was kind of interesting.
0: Well, one of the things that really struck me when I first heard the story, because I think you and I both found it, or well, you found it from family, but you located it also on the uh, Weird Fresno blog. And for the listeners, if you're from the San Joaquin Valley and you haven't looked up the Weird Fresno blog, what's wrong with you? Go look it up. (laughs) But that was the first time I had heard the story, which would have been, uh, I want to say five years ago. Mm. And What struck me when I read it was there's a type of uh, story that's very common to Northern Europe card players. Hmm. You know, everybody's sitting playing cards, and a stranger shows up and asks to be let into the game. And so they let the stranger come in and play some hands, and the stranger's doing fantastically well at the card games. And then somebody drops a card, or in some versions, somebody's trying to cheat. So they're, you know, trying to shift cards under Hmm. the table. But regardless, they end up looking under the table and they noticed that the man has goat's hooves or donkey's hooves for feet and so when i read this that my first thought was oh this is like a dancing latino version of this very common british and germanic ghost story wow i i will say that the version taking place at the dances sounds like it's probably a lot more fun than the guys sitting around (laughs) playing (laughs) poker but (laughs) yeah Yeah, I had come across,
1: kind of on that same vein, I had come across another version of it recently, Um, different, uh, but I think the moral part, the the moral aspect that ties into kind of the versions that I've heard, um, so essentially this one was a young boy in Mexico City who was describing his youth, and he was talking about growing up with his grandmother, was a curandera, kind of was like a a Mexican witch doctor in a sort of way, and they they do healing and other things like that, and so he lived with her, and he learned certain things, and I guess on one Good Friday, which you're supposed to kind of stay home and be sad and things like that he snuck out and she had warned him don't go outside don't do it but because her description if I remember I was something like the veil is or what, whatever spooky phrasing she used so he goes out anyways but uh, on his version of the story he sees a puppy that looks injured on the sidewalk and as he's you know a couple blocks from home so as he picks up the dog he starts to take care of it and he starts walking back home because it starts to get dark and each time he was a little bit further away. So I, if I remember right, each block that he got closer to home, the dog seemed to gain more and more weight and seemed to get heavier and heavier. So by the time that he gets almost to the house, he can't walk because this thing is now this dog has become so big and so heavy. Um, and so he looks down and it's this huge demonic monster that basically chases him into his home and he sneaks in and he's safe, but it just had that same moral that the, the good Friday, the stay at home, repent, that sort of an, if you do go out, this spooky monster is going to get you. It kind of have that same theme.
0: The um, Good Friday does seem to be a very common thing I've come across in this. Uh, the, the version from uh, McAllen, Texas is Good Friday.
1: Mm.
0: The version from San Antonio was on Halloween night, but that kind of gets in with something you said about, you know, the veil is thin.
1: Mm. Well, that's
0: a very common uh, belief from primarily the British Isles regarding the end of October. But of course... Wow. That's tied into the fact that November 1st is All Saints Day, which is a Catholic holiday. So, you know, that's, I find kind of interesting that uh, you would use that phrasing there because another night that has a similar phrasing attached to it is when another one shows up. One version I found that I thought was really quite interesting came from Stockton. Mm. In this version, one thing I found is that most of the print versions of this I've seen, and I'm curious as to whether or not you've seen it, the man is almost always dressed far better than anybody else there. You mentioned a woman in the version that your uh, family tells, which is an interesting addition, actually, but the uh, man is usually far better dressed, typically in black, though, in some cases entirely in white.
1: Mm.
0: And in the version from Stockton, uh, he's said to have been adorned in really fancy gold jewelry. When the woman looked down, his feet were not chicken feet or goat's feet, but rather mm. they weren't touching the ground. He was hovering above the ground. Wow. So she called out, called attention to it, and the lights went out. And when the lights came back on, he wasn't standing there, but the woman had been slashed up, apparently with a l- knife. Wow. And was badly injured. Some versions say she'd been killed. Other versions of the story I found just indicate that she was injured. Hmm. But the police get called. They find the guy and they handcuff him and, you know, arrest him, shove him into the police car. They look away for just a moment. When they look back, the handcuffs are still there, still closed as if they'd be around somebody's wrist. But they're just sitting on the seat of the uh, of the car and they smell sulfur. Wow! In that case, it took place at a place called the Flamingo Club, and a reporter, hearing the story, decided to just go and look. He found no evidence that the police had been called, and the owner of the Flamingo Club actually was very interested in having the reporter come and see the Flamingo Club to see that mm-hmm. it's a nice place, it's not a dangerous place, and he started accusing a nearby owner of a rival nightclub of spreading the story. Oh, wow! Now. Is that the way it went down? I have no idea. It's entirely possible that somebody actually got attacked at the club and, mm. you know, the police weren't actually called, but maybe should have been, but the owner wanted to downplay it. It's entirely possible that a rival business owner did start spreading stories, or it's entirely possible that if the story's already floating around at some point, it just got attached to that club in Stockton. Right but you mentioned that uh, in the version your family tells, the woman was uh, scratched. And so that made me think of this. It sounds like it was less violent than the version in Stockton, but it still had a physical attack, which seems to be relatively unusual in versions of the story I've heard.
1: Yeah. And the way they kind of, um, I I sort of remember it being told is something about the crucifix that she had underneath her dress or her, her bosom order, and it comes out as she's dancing. And that's the, what causes the reaction from him. They were so into the dance that when, as the cross came out, then it supposedly caused that strange reaction. But yeah, I was even, I'm mean, kind of what you were, you were talking about there just made me think of when I was growing up near LA, there was some big canal, or in LA, there were some canals near where we were. And again, when I, my family came to Fresno, uh, we lived off of um, Olive and Fresno, and there's a canal that runs through that neighborhood in the back. Oh, yeah, I know that area. And so um, we heard stories growing up with both canals in la baloney creek my dad would tell us about you know the woman in white that was crying she'll come get you. you better be careful and then and the canals as well and it's it's just funny how those stories are kind of brought through and they, they sort of carry through and um yeah kind of that deeper moral warning i guess I, i'm not sure but uh, um yeah because one of the things that, uh, that i'll just touch on briefly about this um this dancing lady story is the fact that uh not all, but some I hear like on the Texas side and further that way. It's usually the chicken feet, and then on this side, if I'm right near California, it's more common for the goat hoofs or something. Could be. Okay.
0: I, I didn't yeah. find that pattern when I was looking, but okay. it sounds like you've been sitting with a story a lot longer than I have. So, if that's what you found, I'm totally willing to accept <laughs> that. <laughs> but having said that, like my own
1: family story kind of counteracts that. That uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a neat, it's a neat story, and I, I love how they. It brought up some of the sort of, uh, the English tie-ins and, and you know, how it goes, you know, even cross culture.
0: Yeah. It, honestly, the earliest version I could find was from Poland. And that just kind of left me scratching my head because every other time I've looked for this, it's California, Texas, Mexico, or Arizona, right? but there's a version in Poland. So <laughs> make of that what you will.
1: Interesting. Almost tied to like that, you know, the Catholicism a little bit.
0: That seems very likely. Yeah. Um, yeah, a Catholic story that simply moves with Catholic people. Or I suppose if you are a uh, believer in the story, you'd say that uh, it's Satan trying to go at Catholic people. But mm. regardless, I, I find that movement interesting because there, there tends to be this assumption that certain types of stories are unique to particular cultures, but you see this sort of crossover all the time. Mm. You know, you mentioned La Llorona, and I remember uh, reading some stories that were very similar well, I mean, there's similar stories from Irish folklore. There's similar stories from German folklore. And so it suggests that, you know, there's there's probably some group of stories that sort of collide together and are relatively compatible with each other. And so you'll get your regional flavors. I mean, La Llorona is unique to places where Spanish is the primary language, especially in the Americas. <clears throat> But you get similar elements of it with both characters like the Banshee and Ginny Greenteeth in uh, British Island folklore. Mm,
1: right.
0: So it, it makes me wonder if, um, you know, the, the story of the dancing devil. I've got a, actually a quote from a, a folklorist named David Bowles who <clears throat> says it's a medieval story, that he's traced versions of it back to the medieval period in Europe. But for whatever reason, it at this day and time, it seems to really be a Southwestern North American story. Mm. So don't know what to make of that, but I find that interesting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I reached out to some people a little bit ago, I'd say about a year ago, just, you know, during the COVID time, just uh, trying to do more research on the story just to, to find out, because for me, it's very, it's, it's a personal one. It's, it's not one that I really talked about much until recently. Um, you know it is secondhand at that degree but it, it just feels more personal. Um, and then having discovered these things that, that it is part of a bigger mythology is uh, very interesting to me because you know I'm so close with my family and stuff but um yeah uh, so i reached out to some people and they they tied it one of the the, the, the camaroncito one was one of the first that they had found here um in the, in the u.s it was one of the first uh, mm-hmm. stories they'd heard of it but now hearing what you're saying going back even further um uh, and that one gentleman also told me, though, uh, about the chicken feet. He was saying that, that in one story that he'd heard, I can't remember if it was that one or not, that they had found um, what looked like three-toed prints outside in the dirt. So <laughs> that was kind of an interesting detail. Yeah. It,
0: in a lot of the stories, I've noted that the chicken-footed man, or in uh, the case of the Poland one, it's goat-footed, but... Rather than vanishing right there and then on the dance floor, which in some versions he does, but in Mm -hmm. a lot of them, he'll go somewhere else out of sight and vanish there. In the versions from the U.S. that I found, it seems to usually be that he'll go into the men's room and there's no way in or out but the door that the pursuers use to follow him. But when they get in there, he's gone already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know that there's any significance to that. I just find it interesting (laughs) that in a lot of stories, he has to leave in order to actually vanish.
1: One of the things that's so interesting to me about it are just like the amount of, um, sort of uh, more than other stories, like, like La Llorona and some of the other ones, this is very much like that witness sort of thing. You know, they, some of the other ones I've read, people will account their version of the story and remember being at X ballroom or X mm-hmm. dance room, which I find really interesting. Um, sort of that communal, communal storytelling or whatever it is.
0: Is there anything more you'd like to say either about what we were just talking about or about the, uh, the chicken-footed man before we move on to the next thing?
1: Oh, I guess just the last thing, uh, what I have found interesting, one minor thing is that since that family story, since that particular time in the 60s, 70s, it's never happened again. It's never come up again, and I think there's something to be said to that. Um, what exactly that is, I'm not sure, but um, yeah, no, no no sighting since. Although every uh, Good Friday, I text my brother, chicken-foot sighting, and then I'll mention some place <laughs> in Fresno. <laughs> Because it, it, it literally frightens him to this day. And so, you know, I'll get some bad words texted back to me. But, uh.
0: Well, and now that you can text photos, it's a damn shame that the Chicken Man restaurants shut down. I'm just going to say <laughs> that. <you know? laughs> For those not from the Fresno area, in addition to the locally well-known story of the chicken-footed man at the Rainbow Ballroom, we also, until a few years ago, had a locally well-loved restaurant called the Chicken Man. To the best of my knowledge, Satan had nothing to do with the food served there. As usual, my intent is to collect and consider the folklore. I cannot comment on what James' family saw at the Rainbow Ballroom 50 years ago. What is clear is that whatever they saw, or their impressions of what happened, still influences how they feel about that night to this day. The story seems to serve as entertainment for some members of the family, but had a more upsetting effect on others. I respect that connection to the tale, while still considering how it ties into the broader and more common folklore concerning the man with the devil's feet. Once again, special thanks to poet, librarian, and all-around excellent person James Tyner, who was the first Poet Laureate of Fresno. Tyner's poetry has appeared in multiple journals such as Avatar Review, Coal Hill Review, and Transcendence, as well as anthologies such as The New America and Best Contemporary American Poetry. He has worked in libraries for twenty years and has presented panels on his work at CLA, ALA, and PLA. You can email him at Fresno Poet Laureate at Gmail.com.